0: Welcome back to our Ephesians series. We've taken a few weeks off for Christmas and New Year's message. And we're getting back into going through the book of Ephesians. We'll be starting in chapter 5 today. And I've titled this The Imitators because the way this chapter starts off, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And when I, I read that, it made me think of this picture. This picture is... Uh, a picture, it's my favorite picture of my dad and me. So I'm there, I'm the one on the left. <laughs> and you can probably tell, but there I am with, you know, kind of same shirt, similar pants, similar uh, shoes, and just hanging on. I'm not being drugged along, but I'm, I'm hanging on, I'm trying to match his stride, and I want to go where he goes, and I want to go with him. And so as I looked close at this picture too, I realized, This watch that I wear sometimes is my dad's watch and it was very much like that. This one's a little newer than that, but we are dear children of God. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we're reading through Ephesians 5 because some of the message we might tend to take in a little bit of a constricting or negative way, but it's not, it's not. God wants us to be his imitators as dear beloved children and so, As we we go into that, I want you to keep that, not necessarily this picture, I'm sure there's a lot of pictures that are more fit for showing a child imitating his father or mother, but keep that thought in mind. Whether you had a father or mother that you wanted to imitate or not, keep that thought in mind. God is our father and he wants us to imitate him. So let's just look to him in prayer for help this morning as we open his word uh, that we would hear what the spirit would say to us here at creekside this morning father thank you for your word thank you that we can get back into ephesians now and uh, thank you for christmas thank you for a new year and for the meditations we've had on your son and for the joy we've had in knowing that you sent him into this world to save us from our sins And I thank you for each one here this morning who knows you as their Father and Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I just pray for anyone who doesn't that this morning the message of the gospel would be clear and understood to them and received by them so that they can imitate you as dear children as well. I just pray that you would give us all power through the strength that lies in your spirit, that according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us strength this morning to hear what your word says to us i commit this time to you in jesus name amen okay so let's go ahead and uh if you have a bible open to ephesians chapter 5 if you have a device you can read it there for the time being it'll be on the screen as well but i'm gonna just read the first 14 verses of ephesians 5 and As Dakota pointed out there's a lot to cover here so either I'm gonna go really fast or we're gonna skip a lot and in any case you're gonna probably want to go back and read this for yourself as well it says in verse 1 therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God but sexual immorality Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord." Okay, so these imitators that we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to look at who they are, who they're imitating, the depth and breadth of their imitation, if you will, and the outcome of their imitation. And so, first of all, let's just take a look at the imitated and who the imitated are. So we get that right away in verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So God it doesn't say he's the father here but we're his beloved children so the implication is he is our father and that's true of anybody who has placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God for their salvation they are adopted we had that in chapter one they're adopted into the family of God and so we imitate God as loved children so we look to him we're gonna see later we try to discern what's pleasing to him and we live accordingly, in imitation of God. Well, I, I need to step back a second, because we started out with the word therefore, and we would be remiss to read therefore if we don't say, when you see therefore, you need to see what it's there for, right? It's a very, very important thing to keep in mind as we read the word of God ourselves. And I think we can find what it's there for in the verse, last verse of the previous chapter. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So our Father is a forgiving God. And because of that, we should imitate him. Forgiven people forgive. People who have received grace show grace. And so we're imitating this God, who is a forgiving God and a God of grace. Then we're imitating Christ. And we're imitating him By walking in love and what did the love of christ look like well it looked like him loving us it looked like him sacrificing himself for us and this sacrifice is a term of a payment he's making amends for our sin our sin our disobedience to god has created a rift between us and god and that is a problem Jesus solved that problem by making amends to God for my sin. Did you know that? That's what he did on the cross. When the scriptures say he was made sin for us, my sin, the penalty of my sin, the judgment of my sin, was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And I love that song. It says, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul jesus is a sacrifice he's a giver and he's also fragrant offering to his father says he offered himself up a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god so what i take from that is that jesus life was a life of holiness it was a life of perfection that was pleasing to god and so as we seek to imitate god in christ what are we going to see we're going to see love and a love that is of such a nature that it's willing to sacrifice ourself for others even unjustly jesus didn't deserve my sin but he made amends for my sin, for my sin on the cross and also that he was pleasing to God. So this is w- where we're getting into this, this next section. We're going to start learning. Well, not start learning, but we're going to continue learning things that are pleasing to God. So as we consider what it means to love as Christ loved us, love is relational. Love makes a sacrifice. And love is pleasing to God. So what, what is the identity then of the imitators? The imitators are referred to as children. And kind of two kinds of children as we read through this passage. Right in the very beginning it says we're beloved children. You know, I remember hearing this song. I think it's called The Greatest Man I Never Knew. And it talks about how this man lived down the hallway at this lady's house. And it was her dad. But she never knew him. He never told her he loved her. He worked really hard, and he provided a lot of things, but she didn't really know that he loved her. Well, that's not the kind of God we have. God sent his son to demonstrate his love to us. We are beloved, and so as imitators of God, we remember that we're loved by God. Also, we're children of light, and so verse 8 says walk as children of light or live as children of light. Your lifestyle should reflect the light And the light is understanding God's reality. What is God's reality? Because we are in this created world, and there's a lot of things in this world that are confusing, and we hear a lot of messages that are not God's reality. But the light is what shows what's true. Okay, you can be in a room. That's why if you hear something in a dark room and you turn on the light, You're glad because now you know what that was. And hopefully, it's not something scary, right? But if it is something scary, you're still glad to know that it was there rather than be in darkness. And we like light for that purpose because it makes things known to us. And so, it is as children of light, we have the ability through God's word to understand what God's reality is. So, the other part of our identity that's referred to here is saints. And maybe, I don't know if that's a, a new thought to you or a strange thought to you or an uncomfortable thought to you, to be called a saint. You know, sometimes we might think of saints as only particular people. You know, we say, we, well, he was, he was a real saint. He was a real saint. Well, God calls us saints. And what a saint is, is a sacred And I pulled this definition from Strong's. It says sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, and ceremonially consecrated. That's a mouthful, right? That probably didn't help a whole lot. But we are to be physically pure. We're not supposed to be controlled by the urges and desires and wants of our five senses. We're to maintain our bodies in purity according to God's standard of purity. We are to be morally blameless, which means that we follow the principles and the patterns of right behavior. What's the right thing to do in each situation? That's what a saint does, follows that. And we are ceremonially consecrated. What's that mean? It just means that God has taken us and he's called us saints and he's put us in a place separated to be his child and to be his servant. And I I think, you know, a common illustration for this, we have a dishwasher at home, and as we finish meals, we put dirty dishes in there. Well, every now and then, someone will go to put a dish in there, and there will be like a big flurry. No, 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 those are clean, those are clean. You know, don't put a dirty dish in the clean dishwasher because you'll mess it up. Well, the clean dishes are to be put, then whoever you know, whoever raises that issue often gets tasked with the job of putting the dishes out of the dishwasher into the cabinet, because that's where the clean dishes belong, right? The dirty dishes go in, they come out clean, and that's, that's a little picture of us. We were children of darkness. We were children of wrath. We learned that in chapter 2, and we learned that in this chapter too, this chapter also. But now, we're children of light, and we're saints. And so we might not always look like it, but we're growing that direction, right? So I put up there 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. It says to the church, and you know, if if you ever read about what things were like in Corinth, which is the church that this was written to, it was pretty messed up there. It was pretty messed up. And I won't go into details, but you can look that up and find out just how messed up it was. And then... Paul writes to him, this is about the first thing he says to him, he says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So this this makes it pretty broad, it's not just written to Corinth, it's written to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus is called a saint by God. So that is part of our identity that we're, we're learning how to live out and walk in. As imitators of God, we're really living in our identity. And I want us to remember that as well because, you know, sometimes we take on these rules and maybe not so much take them on as we put them on other people who don't have this identity or maybe we look at people who are not believers in Jesus and we say, how, how could they do that? Well, it's to be expected in a way, right? Because they're not set apart for God. They're not made holy by Jesus' blood. And that, you know what? They're coming from the same place that you and I came from. We learned that in chapter two. We were once children of wrath too. And we did what they do. It might've been a different flavor, might've been a different time, But we need to remember that not everybody in this world is a saint. And this particular chapter is written to those who are saints. So this isn't like God's edict to the world, you watch out, you do these things. No, first, we need to be saints. And we're living out our identity as it's discussed in this chapter. So, let's look then at the The depth of the imitation. So there's kind of four aspects to this. And that's why I called it the depth. Because it talks about our behavior. It talks about our speech. It talks about our desires. And it talks about our partnerships in this life. So, you know, living out the identity as beloved children of God, as saints, is pretty, pretty deep. You know, it's not just this behavior modification that we try to do. We read this chapter and the, and the other chapters in the Bible and see what it says to do, and we just try to do it. No, it's living out what's inside. And it's not just our behavior. It's what we say. And it's what we want. And it's who we partner with in this life. So, imitating God is a, is a pretty broad and deep thing. And you'll know you you'll hear expressions in the world and unfortunately, maybe sometimes believers adopt them, whether with their words or with their thoughts. You, know, you might hear, a, you can look, but you can't touch. Well, that's not what this chapter says. No, it touches, what are our desires? What are my desires? What do I want? What am I saying? You know, is it okay to joke about these things? Well, no, it says walk in love as christ loved us so that's the first thing that's supposed to mark our behavior is that we're walking in love in a sacrificial love in a relational love in a love that is pleasing to god as christ loved us and gave himself up for us so that's what our love is marked by it's sacrificial it's not just me getting what i want there's a um and then the very next verse, verse 3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Okay, so there's our identity coming in. Our saints, we're, we're set aside. We're supposed to be separated from those filthy things that mark this world. Sometimes you hear this expression that goes around. It says, love is love. And that's an expression saying that if you have a desire for anything or anyone, that's love. Well, it's not. It's not. That's not the kind of love that God is talking about. And so he goes directly into this fact that sexual immorality is not to be named, even named among us. And so sexual immorality is defined in a great deal. Of detail in the scriptures and if you want to get into that detail you can read Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20 and you'll find that you know a lot of times we talk about in America the sexual revolution that happened in the 60s and then the following departures from you know from God's design for sexuality well that wasn't really a revolution these things have been going on for about Maybe 6,000 years, plus or minus a few. And God talks about them all the way back in Leviticus. And it's covered pretty thoroughly there. So it's a problem in our hearts. It's not a problem so much in our culture. It is a problem in our culture, but it's a problem in our culture because it's a problem in our hearts, right? And that's the way our hearts have always been. So if you want to spend some time figuring out what sexual immorality refers to, but really I, I wanted to point out how God views sexual morality. To do that, let's just look at this quote from Jesus because they were talking to him about divorce and what Moses allowed and so on. And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother And hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate so that's why you hear believers often say marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life well this is the context for human sexuality as god designed it and so there are people that will raise the question and say, Well, you know, isn't that maybe a cultural thing? Maybe it was done a certain way in, in these old cultures and that's outdated. Well, think about this. Jesus is quoting Genesis chapter 1, where God first created man and woman and put them together as a couple. And then about 4,000 years later, Jesus is repeating this. And then in the next week or two, we're going to see in, the, in this very chapter, Ephesians 5, that God, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the Christian church, repeats that very same thing. That God designed sexual love to be in the context of lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. And so you don't really have to un- read about all the other things that are described as immorality. You can read about how God designed it and that's where the joy will be is as we keep in that context um, we will be imitators of God. I also want to go back because there are a number of things listed here. It says sexual immorality and we've talked about that and then it says all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And so I I looked into that word impurity a little bit, and it said in a moral sense, this is lustful, luxurious, extravagant, or wasteful. So that impurity, it does cover more than just sexuality. It covers anything that I'm extravagantly, wastefully lavishing on myself, right? And then It goes on to talk about covetousness, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But basically, when we're wanting something that we don't have. So, our behavior is to be imitating of God. And then in verse 10, I'm just going to jump forward to that. We may touch on it a little bit more later, too. But it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So, there's an effort expected out of us. To figure out what, what is it about my speech, my desire, my partnerships that pleases God. And so we need to put that effort in. Last week we talked about Bible reading plans. You know, and the blessing that that is. Well, guess where you're going to find out what pleases God? It's in his word. And in, uh, I believe it's in... One of the epistles of the Thessalonians, I should have written this down, but it, it says, uh, the will of God concerning us is our sanctification. And sanctification is a big word that talks about the process of us looking more and more like saints. You know, we talked about saints, how their behavior and their position before God is set apart and it's unique to God's children. And so over time, we know God's will is for us to become more and more that way and the more joy we'll have the more that we are living that way so what about our speech verse 4 says let there no filthiness nor fil- foolish talk nor, or crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving verse 6 says let no one deceive you with empty words verse 12 says it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Our words matter, don't they? God has a standard for our jokes. God has a standard for what we talk about. And just because something happened doesn't mean we should talk about it, right? Because it says it's a shame to speak about the things that are done in secret. So God puts a a, a watch over our tongues. But not only that, he says in verse 4, and I think this is, this is a very key thing, he says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So it's not just that we keep our words to ourself. It's not just that we don't say anything. It's that we give thanks. And thanksgiving comes from a heart that recognizes that I've received gifts from God. Guess what? A thankful heart recognizing i've received gifts from god is going to keep me from covetousness wanting what i don't have from impurity you know lavishing and seeking great things for myself it's going to keep me from sexual immorality because i'm going to be content with what god has given me and not just content but giving thanks and so the antidote here is thanksgiving and along with remembering who we are, and remembering the love of God to us, remembering the sacrificial love of Christ toward us, we need to notice day by day the things that God is giving us that we're thankful for. And that will, be, that will take us a long ways in avoiding these behaviors that are to be avoided. So the next thing is our desires. And covetousness, it says, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then it goes on to say everyone who is covetous in parentheses, it says that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So covetousness that's seeking to have things that God hasn't given me and pursuing those things and making that the object of my daily life. That doesn't have any place in the life of a saint. It, we're we're kind of I think more or less okay with covetousness. It's often called the American dream. You can get more. You can do better. You can pursue more. You can amass more. You can build your own security. And you know there's many aspects of that that are expected of believers. We are expected to work so that we can earn so that we can give, not so that we can lavish it on ourselves. Covetousness is not to be named among God's saints. And then, finally, partnerships. It says, because of these things, which is referring back to the sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Did you know this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not trusting in his offering that he made to God for sin that the wrath of God is waiting for you? It's, It's not something we really like to talk about because maybe it presents God in a light that's not so popular and we're afraid that'll make me not so popular either. But God has wrath against sin. And those who live this way are going to receive this wrath. And the sons of disobedience is where we used to be before we by grace through faith received the work of christ on our behalf so he says therefore don't become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord so it matters who we become partners with you know there's there's a lot of different positions on what this entails but i think maybe what it boils down to is, we see the purpose of this is to keep us from getting embroiled in sexual immorality, covetousness, and impurity. And so if we're joining into a relationship with somebody, whether it's professionally, personally, marriage, any other kind of relationship where we are tied to their moral decisions, then we need to think two or three or four times about that or maybe just once. and say, God, it's more important for me to be able to be free, to be holy, to be free from covetousness, to be free from impurity, to be free from sexual immorality. And if I enter into this relationship, I'm gonna be bound to go along with certain things. And and then no relationship is that a greater truth than in marriage. And so if you're here this morning and you're not married and you would like to be married someday, I would just say to you, don't get married to an unbeliever because in marriage, God sees you as one and you need to be able to operate as one. You need to have the same morals. You need to have the same goals, the same values for that to be a God-honoring marriage. And when that's not the case, it causes great pain and suffering and distress. And even if you do have all of the same goals, you still have work to do any married couple will attest to that, to come together to meet those goals. But if you have completely different goals, that will create a strain in that relationship, right? So you can refer on your own, if you want to read more about that, to First Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says, only marry in the Lord. Marriage is only to be between two believers. If you're a believer, you need to marry another believer, But we're to be imitators. So I want to go on here and talk about what is the impact of imitators. So we we read this earlier a couple times about inheritance in the kingdom. So verse 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, maybe that makes us squirm a little bit right? Because, well, we just read in chapter 2 that salvation is by grace through faith, and now it seems like I'm reading that I need to keep this moral code to inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. So what, what's going on here? And I, I, hopefully I can not fall into one ditch or the other, the ditch that says, oh, well, I pray to prayer. I'm good. Doesn't matter how I live. I'm going to just keep going on with my life the way it's always been, because I prayed the prayer and I'm in well what Paul's saying here is you're probably not in you're probably not in if there's no change in your lifestyle through faith in Jesus you probably have not been indwelt by the Spirit of God which makes changes in our lives there's a good chance you're not really a saint because you're not living a wholly separated life on the other side of the road there's a ditch that might say oh I sinned. I'm out. Because today I had a sexually immoral thought or desire or act. Or I partook in impurity. I laughed or I said a filthy joke. I thought impure thoughts. I coveted. I gave up my time in the word of God in pursuit of doing A better job at work so I could get more money so I failed that way well we need to stay where God puts us right so those who are sexually immoral or impure or who covetous I believe and others have commented on this too refers to those who live that way as their lifestyle and there's no no regret no efforts to change no repentance Maybe even a justification of it. Say, well, I'm saved by faith. I don't know about you. Maybe you're saying you're saved by works, but I'm saved by faith. I can live how I want. Well, that's not how people that are saved by faith live. So hopefully I've stated that in a clear way, but this should be a warning to us too. If we are living in the way that's described here and there's no pang of conscience there's no real effort to change, uh, then then it's it's possible that we're not really beloved children of God. It's possible that we're not really saints. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he says, true believers who do sin resent that sin and seek to gain victory over it. So when sin comes into our lives as believers, there's a pain that comes in and a conscience, and and we resent it. We want to get rid of it. We want to get power over it. And so, you know, if that's, if that's you, let me first say that's a good sign because that means the Spirit of God is indwelling you and convicting you most likely. And the second thing I wanna say is there is hope for power over sin. God does give us deliverance from it in our life and it's a growing process. We can gain, we can grow in that process as saints who are being sanctified or made more like saints. So. The other thing about this I noticed was the kingdom of Christ and God. And I, I was reading in my Moody Bible commentary, and they made this comment and said it, it is probably transtemporal. Was that helpful? Probably not particularly. But um, they said the habitual sinner is not part of Christ's present kingdom, and without repentance, will not partake in God's coming kingdom. So the kingdom of god is kind of a thread that has run through the scriptures and through the history of man and god in this world and it's looked different from age to age and there's coming a day when christ is going to reign on earth but we are as believers we have entered the kingdom of heaven and we're god's children and so that means we submit to the authority the kingship of god and that we're inside this kingdom Of God, even though we're on earth and things are messed up here, and maybe we're a little bit messed up too, but what this commentary, and I believe the purpose of calling out the kingdom of Christ and God, is that this is not just for today, but it has implications for our eternal destiny. So we should take note if we see that, oh boy, my lifestyle is marked by Sexual immorality, it's marked by impurity, it's marked by covetousness, the pursuit of things that God hasn't given me. And maybe I need to think about, is my eternal destiny really secure? Sure, I prayed the prayer, but was it a prayer of faith? Do, have I put my trust in Jesus? If so, do I believe what God's word says? Because if I truly believe it, then I'm going to care about it and what it says to my life. So, at the risk of belaboring that point, I'm going to continue on. So, then it says, the, the fruit of light is found in all that is good, and right, and true. So, we're children of light, and there's supposed to be fruit from our lives. And what does that fruit look like? It looks like three things. And there's an and in between each of these. And I learned, I took a, in high school, we all had to take this class called Teaching Logic, and it taught us how to read sentences and figure out what, what they were saying, if they were true or false. And One of the things they said is, if you have an and, then every part that's joined by this and needs to be true for the whole thing to be true. And for any of you that are computer programmers, you, you've maybe had exposure to that too, right? Because if one of those is false, the whole thing goes out. So, what's good? Good is having an interest in the welfare of others. What's right? Right means it conforms to God's standard. What is true? True means that it follows God's reality as opposed to human falsehood. So we see this um, kind of, we probably, have some tendencies to follow you know maybe we want to be more focused on what's good and so I'm just gonna take one issue that we talk about frequently and Christians talk about frequently abortion okay so what's good well what's good is caring for little children who are orphans or who are abandoned what's good is caring for single moms or people without resources And so as we give our resources to things like foster care, adoption, uh, support of single moms, unwed mothers, we are doing what's good in that arena, right? But it also needs to be what's right. And so what conforms to God's standard? Well, God expects us to hold to the sanctity of life, that life is valuable. And so that little unborn child is a life we read in the word of God that should be protected right so we can go out and seek to pass laws to seek to get you know court cases overthrown to get elections going to the people that support our position and and that's that's all well and good as far as it goes that's what's right but when that happens our job is not started and our job is not done And we can focus on what is right in our approach to things in in this life. And there's also what is true. What follows God's reality as opposed to human falsehood? So in that same issue, why is that life valuable? Well, God says all human life is valuable because all human beings are made in the image of God. So if we believe and we know what's true, what drives that behavior protect human life, we also realize, you know what? That also affects my behavior towards my neighbor. Am I going to curse at him out loud or under my breath because he annoys me? No, because he's made in the image of God, right? So as we understand the truth and God's reasons and way of doing things, it has a much broader implication than just a single issue, right? And so all of us might have a tendency to go, I'm going to go towards what's good, I'm going to go towards what's right, I'm going to go towards what's true, and make this an intellectual exercise. No, we need all of it to have the fruit of light. Now, I think that as the fruit of light comes out in that way, it's going to reveal more truth to people around us than if we are, you know, forcing them to things if we're loud and proud and if we're happy with winning and that's all the further it goes light has the fruit in all three of these areas and then evangelism is also an impact of imitation so in verse 14 I'm going to step back a minute to to talk another thing about light this is not a blinding light that's talked about in this passage it's a revealing light. It shows the truth. And, you know, just a metaphorical example. Sometimes when we're done with our stuff for the day, Debbie and I have this idea, we're going to read a book in bed. And that usually lasts about five minutes and we're out. But if she, if she gets there first, she turns out the overhead light, turns on the reading lights. And if I come in the room and, I, and I've done this a few times and I, I don't think I... I'm going to do it anymore but I turn on that overhead light comes and shines right in her face and she can't see what she's looking at I'm hitting her with a blinding light from overhead because maybe I want to see something else but if we are just in people's faces to tell them the truth and to tell them what's right and we're not doing what's good we may be that blinding light rather than that revealing light and Peter says that I believe it's Pierre, he says, when they see your manner of life, they're going to think it's strange that you don't do the things that they do. Because these things are what drive this world system. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what drives this world system. And we're going to stand out like a sore thumb. We will, we will be kind of weird sometimes, but in a good way. And it's going to reveal our life should be in contrast what motivates the life of those around us who don't care what God has to say about them or maybe don't even believe in God so this is a revealing light not a blinding light and in that regard there is a built-in I would say a built-in evangelism but it is also accompanied with words here and we say awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you so we need to be as imitators we need to be bringing the message of the gospel Of God's reality of God's goodness of God's love of God's righteous standard to the world around us in a in a way that stirs people up and there will be this resurrection life in them arise from the dead by the power of Christ's resurrection we have new life within us so in conclusion I think there's kind of three things that i want us to take away from this primarily Uh, again i would encourage you to go back and read this because there's a lot of things that we didn't necessarily touch on but pursue thanksgiving look around be thankful for what god has given you be aware of the blessings he's given us read god's word to see what the blessings that we can't see are that god has given us i will make All of these things much easier because a a content grateful heart is not going to seek things covetously it's not going to seek immorality it's not going to seek pleasure it's going to seek the giver of all good things our beloved father who loves us as children who are beloved and so pursue Thanksgiving try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord you know, we, I, did, I don't think we can really overestimate the value of being in God's word and being in prayer to see what God says His standard is, to see what God says His truth is, to see what He says goodness is toward our neighbor. And in prayer, to listen to the voice of God and to seek His help, to seek that power that will strengthen us, to walk in this way that we can shine and not shine. As blinding lights but shine as revealing lights that show this is this is the way that we should live our lives so let's be imitators as beloved children and keep that in mind that we are God's beloved children and that's why he wants us to look like him because we are his offspring right and we are his Saints and we are um, going to inherit the kingdom of God and all that that entails at a future day. So that's where our hope is. Be imitators as beloved children. Now, the band is gonna come up and and play a few more songs. And as they do, we'll participate together in communion. We welcome any believer in the Lord Jesus who has accepted the work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf to come join us and take the bread as a reminder of Jesus' body given for us and to take the cup of juice as a reminder of Jesus' blood that paid and made that amends to God for our sins. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I just pray that even as I pray and as these songs play, that you would come, receive what Jesus has done for us so that you can be a beloved child of God so that you can have a new perspective on life down here and what a new motivation and new desires let's just give thanks Lord Jesus thank you for your offering on our behalf that satisfied God with regard to our sins thank you for your body in which you bore our sins on the cross there Thank you for your blood that made amends to God for our sins. Thank you for this cup and juice that remind us of that. I pray that as we partake of it, we would truly remember you. Pray that as we live in this world, that we would be imitators of you as your dear children, beloved, greatly beloved. Just thank you for this opportunity to be in your word together today. Just bless it to us, and and by your Spirit, take it and apply it to our hearts and our consciences and our minds. In Jesus' precious name, amen.